All right, we're gonna we're gonna talk about villains and heroes a little bit this morning. Villains and heroes. So I have a totally non-biblical one-question pop culture quiz for for you. Um, so this is a a villain question. What is the first name of the villain in Despicable Me, like the main character, who's the character of all the Despicable Me movies, okay? The main character, his first name. No, that's his, that's his last name. He's, yes. <laughs> It's both, right? <laughs> it is, that's his last name. His last name is Gru. His first name is Felonius. Yeah, I didn't know that, huh? Does he have a twin? I don't know. I don't know. It was just, that's a worthless question. It's not why we're here. It was just, I, I saw it the other day and I was like, Felonius? That was a weird name. It's like a felon though, right? He's the villain. We're going to talk about villains and heroes in the sense of the story of Hanukkah today. Um, wow, we just go from one holiday to the other, right? Uh, finished up wrapping up Thanksgiving last week. Now we're going right into Hanukkah this week. Um, so we're, we're going to talk about the importance of Hanukkah today give a little bit of an overview. Hanukkah starts, just for context, okay, so Hanukkah starts this Thursday night. Thursday night is the first candle. If you're, if you, it starts in the evening before Friday. Friday is the first day of Hanukkah, if you look at it on your calendar, but Thursday evening is the first candle of Hanukkah, so you light your candle. Remember, the Jewish holidays go evening to, evening to morning, right? There was evening and there was morning the first day, so Jewish days go sunset to sunset. So Hanukkah is the same way. We uh, <clears throat> will start Thursday evening with the first candle, um, and uh, we will light our Hanukkahs also on Saturday when we're here, um, and and when we have that. So if you're getting together on Friday nights and you light your Shabbat candles, I'd encourage you also to light your Hanukkahs as well um, at home and enjoy the, the time of Hanukkah. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about that today, though, and why you might want to celebrate Hanukkah if you've never done Hanukkah before. Um, but first, I want to just give you a little bit of a history recap uh, of Hanukkah. Um, we have to rewind about 2,200 years. So this is about, this is at least a couple hundred years before Yeshua was born. We have to rewind at least that far. Um, to get to the history of Hanukkah, and uh, you've probably heard of a guy named Alex, or Alexander the Great, right? Alexander the Great, um, he has a little bit to do with Hanukkah, because he went through like a whirlwind from Greece, and, and just conquered a bunch of territories, right? Um, and a massive amount of, of, of the world, known world at that time, and and as, and as he did so, part of the territories that he conquered was the area of Judea, okay? Um, that was part of what was under his control. And when he died, and he died pretty young, when he died, uh, there was a lot of infighting 
over the territories and who would rule what territory. Um, a lot of chaos resulted, different rulers and their armies battling for control, going on and on. And this affected not just Judea and the area of Israel and the people there, but a lot of different areas, but it also is very specifically affected Judea and, and Israel as well. And so this, this ha- went on for a long time, okay? Went on for a long time. Um, meanwhile, um, remember that at this time, the, uh, the exiles had returned from, from Babylon, okay? And they had, they had rebuilt the temple, the second temple. We are in the second temple period, okay, at this time. This is not Herod's version of the temple yet, but it's, it's still the second temple period is this time we're in. They've rebuilt this already, and they've, they, so they've reestablished worship in Jerusalem. And in fact, the, the culture of that, that time period was that, that the worship was much more pure and focused um, when the exiles returned, that was the first time that they, gave, they really, truly gave up idols from worship, like idolatry in, in Israel, when they returned from Babylon. Um, that's when they really, truly did that. And, and this is when groups like the Pharisees and the Sadducees and those other groups began to develop during this period of time. Um, and, and these were all happening at that time um, during the Second Temple period. This was all happening during that time. And, and what happened was that the, that the temple rulers, okay, the priests, whoever was known as the high priest, was also the one who was basically politically in charge of Israel during that period of time. And what this led to, because of that, there was a, it led to a lot of bribery and corruption within those, the, the priestly ranks, and to the point that there was people in the priestly ranks that were not in the line of Aaron anymore. Um, and, and there was a lot of, so there was a lot of corruption going on and upheaval going on within the Jewish people, okay, of Israel. A lot of, a lot of that going on. Um, chaos there. As well as then external rulers that were battling for control over these areas, including Israel and that land. And so then you get to different Greek kings or Greco-Syrian kings and and. They were reigning from Damascus and ruling over the land of Judea and, and ruling over the Jews that lived there. And then we come to this guy named, and there's probably more than one way to pronounce his name. I'm going to go with Antiochus Epiphanes. You can tell me that I'm wrong. It's probably some variety of that somewhere in there. But Antiochus Epiphanes, he was the, he was the king. At that time, the ruler of that area... And he was the Greco-Syrian ruler, okay, ruling from, from Damascus. And he, the, I found an interesting article in Biblical Archaeology Review that named him the, um, <clears throat> the Bible's most notoriously forgotten villain, okay? 
And I thought that was an interesting title for him. Why, why is he forgotten, though? Why would you guess that Antiochus Epiphanes would be considered a forgotten villain? He's not in the Bible, right? But he's in the book of Maccabees, right? So he's not in the Protestant or in the Jewish um, canon of Scripture, right? He's in the, the book of Maccabees, First and Second Maccabees, in the Apocrypha is where he's listed. So that's why he can be overlooked or forgotten, right? So why would then he be notorious, a notorious villain? Um, let's talk about that a little bit, because we have, we have uh, villains, right? We talked about this culturally made up one, uh, Thelonious Grew, um, in, in Despicable Me. Um, every good story, right, has a, has a villain, right? The good versus evil stories. There's always a villain, somebody to, uh, to, to, to be the evil one, right? Um, you know, we, uh, we like to portray our enemies as villains. I mean, if you've watched any political commentary, the opposite side of the political spectrum from whoever's talking is a villain. <clears throat> like all the time, almost all the time anymore. Um, they can't not be. Uh, if you've watched sports commentators, they like to, <clears throat> or coaches or teams, they like to portray the other team as the villain. They're just, they're the enemy. <clears throat> so we, we create villains, right? We know who they are. They're the bad guys. And in scripture, there's, there are absolutely real bad people in scripture, um, real bad rulers in scripture who do bad things to Israel. We could think of somebody like Nebuchadnezzar, right? He took people into captivity. Uh, he destroyed the temple, right? So he was a villain in scripture. He, was, he was, did some things that were not good. Other people we could think of, like Herod, Yes, he, he did help re-beautify the temple, but he was also an evil dude. He was not, not good. Other rulers that came might be considered like Roman uh, leaders, emperors, um, that like uh, Domitian or uh, Nero, they were kind of after or right after or during the time of the apostles or very, very close to that time, but they were villains certainly towards the Jewish people, or towards believers in, in Yeshua. Um, and you could say that Antiochus Epiphanes was in the realm of those people in the same, at the same level or worse than those people. Um, he was just as bad. Uh, uh, there's a secular historian um, named Polybius. He, he, called, he liked to call Antiochus Epiphanes Epimenes. Okay, and so this is like uh, one of your political commentators, like giving a a, a, a mocking nickname to to somebody they don't like, right? So, what do you guys know? What epiphanies means? Yeah, epiphanies means madman or insane, insane, like the insane one. Epiphanies you, that means God manifest. So Antiochus had given himself a title, calling himself God Manifest. Like the epitome of pride, right there. Right. And Polybius said, you are insane. 
you're, you're nuts. And he wasn't saying that from a, you're not really God. He was saying that because Antiochus was, was, was kind of in, was kind of nuts. <laughs> okay? Um, he, he liked his liquor a lot. He got drunk a lot, and he had really crazy behavior while he was inebriated. Um, he, he was actually, he liked to play music. He was a musician, but he was really bad at it, too. <laughs> um, and, and so he was mocked because he liked to play his music for the people, and the people hated it. Um, he, was, he was just, he was erratic. People might describe him as a megalomaniac. Uh, you might describe him as a madman, but the bottom line is he was evil. Um, he, he, he did not have good intentions in mind. But what he did have was he wanted to bring a level of cultural uniformity to his empire. Um, he, he, wanted, he wanted to bring Hellenism, Greek Hellenism, into Judea and, uh, and to encourage the worship of the Greek pantheon, including Zeus. That's what he was trying to bring in as part of his cultural uniformity. And, and at first it was voluntary, okay? But the Jewish people, even in the midst of their own chaos, right, their own corruption, they were not having it. They're not gonna, they were not going to do it. Um, and there was just a lot of chaos going on. And so Antiochus, he decided to take control. And he killed a lot of people, a lot of people, innocent people. He, he be, it went from voluntary Hellenism to brutally enforcing Hellenism and pagan idol worship. He forbade things from, of the Jewish people from doing things like praying. Okay, He was forbidding prayer. Um, he forbid them to practice <clears throat> their customs like circumcision, as an example. He forbid them from studying Torah, and, and he had Torahs burned. Um, he destroyed a lot of things on the Temple Mount. He plundered the temple. And he built a new fortress on the Temple Mount. <clears throat> it was called the Acra, or the Citadel. And in fact, <coughs> they found that in the ruins of that in fairly recently. I think it was 2015. They found that, and, and as he did so, he didn't just destroy some things, but he set up pagan idols in the temple area as well, and offered pagan sacrifices in the temple area. And I want to read to you a quote. Um, it said that uh, 80,000 Jews, 80,000, were either slaughtered or sold into slavery. This is under Antiochus Epiphanes. <clears throat> To circumcise a child or to possess a copy of the Torah was a crime punishable by death. History has seldom or never seen so deliberate attempt an attempt to wipe out the faith and religion of a whole people. He desecrated the, the temple. He erected an altar to Olympian Zeus in the holy place, and on it he sacrificed swine's flesh, and he turned the rooms of the temple into public brothels. To the Jews, Antiochus was the incarnation of all evil. 
So that was a quote from William Barclay um, in his book, The Revelation of John. Um, just a little bit about, about what Antiochus was like. So he was this evil dude, and he did all this horrible stuff, terrorizing, destruct, and, and a, a trail of destruction, but then he left. He went to fight other battles, other wars, and he left, he left the area up to his generals that were in charge. He just put his military generals in charge of the area, well, he, and he walked away. And in response to this, this is where Judah Maccabee comes into the scene, okay, and his brothers. They come into the scene, and uh, they've, they're organizing some resistance fighters, and that we know them as the Maccabees now. Um, they lived in this town of Modi'in, which is, if you're thinking about it on like a modern-day map, this area is about halfway in between modern-day Jerusalem and Tel Aviv, okay? R roughly speaking, um, that's where they were at. And <clears throat> they were not a big group. They did not have this big organized army like the generals under Antiochus had. Uh, they were very small. They were very undersupplied. And so they used guerrilla warfare, for the most part, in their fighting. Um, but they fought against the paganism. They fought against the oppression. They had, they had a, a real tenacity that came from their faith in the Lord. They did. And that was one of, one of the reasons why they were able to persevere. Um, because it, it, it didn't happen instantly. This, they drug this out for a long time. A real long time. Their, their guerrilla warfare. Really, it was like, <clears throat> I would kind of compare it to, to the, to the Greco-Syrian army. This is like death by a thousand needles, okay? They were just getting picked off over a long period of time, small piece at a time, constantly. And, and I, I just wanted to read to you, though, this quote. This is from a battle, and this is from the book of Maccabees, uh, the first book of Maccabees. This is about a battle near Beit Haron, which is about halfway in between Jerusalem and Modi'in. So it's a little bit northwest of Jerusalem. And it, and it said, uh, But when they saw the army coming to meet them, this is the, the Maccabee fighters, they said to Judah, What? Shall we, be able, shall we be able to be in a small army to fight against so great and so strong an army? And Judah said, It's an easy thing. For many to be shut up in the hands of a few. And there is no difference in the sight of heaven to save by many or by few. For victory in battle stands not in the sides of the army, but strength is from heaven. They come towards us full of disrespect and lawlessness to destroy us and our wives and our children, but we fight for our lives and our laws, and God himself will destroy them before our eyes. But as for you, do not be afraid of them. <clears throat> so, you, you kind of get pictures of other biblical characters and stories right in your mind when you hear that kind of a quote. You think about maybe David versus Goliath, you know, who, the, how David's talking to him, and I come into you in the name of the Lord. Um, things like that. Um, you, you think about that and how God used very small uh, armies at times, right? Gideon's army. 
right? Um, I was just reading this week, um, yesterday, uh, about Saul or Jonathan and his armor bearer and how they went after a, Philistine, a whole Philistine garrison by themselves, just the two of them. And they took them on and, they, and God destroyed them before them. God gave them a great victory with just a small army. And that's really what was happening. That's, you can think about that in the story of the Maccabees, and that's kind of who they were. Um, it took a long time, guerrilla-style warfare against great odds, but the Maccabees succeeded. They did. They succeeded, and they reclaimed the temple in Jerusalem. They cleaned out the temple. They got rid of all of the Greek symbols, the statues, pagan idols. And when they finished cleaning it, they rededicated the temple. And this was on the 25th of Kislev. In 164 BCE is when this happened. The, the temple was purified and rededicated. So this is when, the, when Hanukkah starts, right? So this, the 25th of Kislev is coming up starting next Thursday evening. This is when Hanukkah starts, right? This is when they, when they celebrated it, <clears throat> when they begin to celebrate it. And, and this is really important because this reclamation of the temple enabled the Jews to continue to practice their faith to continue to do it the way that God had prescribed for them to do it. And that's really important because it, it set the stage eventually for Yeshua to come in to that stage, to that area. So according to tradition, when they entered the temple, that they discovered that the oil for the menorah, and you guys probably know this story, the oil for the menorah was defiled. <clears throat> they only had enough oil for one day. It takes a whole week to get more oil, to make more oil. And this is where the, the Hanukkah miracle occurred. Um, the Maccabees lit the menorah anyway. It didn't burn for just one day, but it burned for eight days. And, uh, and by then, new purified oil was ready. And so this is where we have the, the length of Hanukkah, the eight days of Hanukkah, the eight candles of the Hanukkah menorah, because there's eight candles plus the, sh the Shamash candle as well. Um, and, and this became a tradition, that, uh, that they would light the Hanukkiahs um, in your homes. They would do it at the, uh, the temple, right? But in, in AD 70, the temple was destroyed, and they would continue to do these things in their homes and, they, and call it the Festival of Lights or the Festival of Rededication, as it was called, or the or Festival of Dedication, as it was called then as well, because they had dedicated the temple at that time. So that's kind of the historical background. So ignoring like the, the oil and the candles, and I want you to kind of think about the, the, the stage of the, the battles, the reclaiming of the temple, the revolt against the enemy who was ruling over them. And I want to read for you from John chapter 10 today. If you want to go to John chapter 10. I'm just going to read the whole chapter. Amen, amen, I tell you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in some other way, is a thief or a robber, and a robber. But he who enters through the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice. The shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him, because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger, but will run away from him, 
for they do not know the voice of strangers. Yeshua told them this parable, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Okay, mind you, he's talking to the Pharisees here. It's from John 9 there. Verse 7, So Yeshua said again, Amen, amen, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All those who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. If anyone comes through me, he will be saved. He will come and go and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, slaughter, and destroy. I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The hired worker is not the shepherd, and the sheep are not his own. He sees the wolf coming and abandons the sheep and flees. Then the wolf snatches and scatters the sheep. The man is only a hired hand and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not from this fold. Those also I must lead, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay my life down my life so that I may take it up again. No one takes it away from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. And again, a division among the Judeans because it arose among the Judeans because of these words. Many of them were saying, He has a demon. He's insane. Why, why listen to him? Others said, These are not the sayings of someone who is plagued by a demon. A demon cannot open the eyes of the blind, can it? Then came Hanukkah. It was winter in Jerusalem. Yeshua was walking in the temple around Solomon's colonnade. Then the Judean leaders surrounded him, saying, How long will you hold us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us outright. And Yeshua answered them, I told you, but you don't believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify concerning me. But you don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands. I and the Father are one. Again, the Judean leaders picked up stones to stone him. And Yeshua answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these are you going to stone me? The Judean leaders answered, We aren't stoning you for a good work, but for blasphemy. Though you are a man, you make yourself God. Yeshua answered them, Isn't it written in your writings, I have said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came... And scripture cannot be broken. Do you say of him, the one who the Father set apart and sent into the world, you speak blasphemy because I said, I am Ben Elohim? If I don't do the works of my Father, don't believe me. But if I do, even if you don't trust me, trust the deeds, then you may come to know and continue to understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Therefore, they tried to capture him again, but he escaped from their hand. 
Again, he went back across the Jordan to the place where John first started immersing, and he stayed there. Many people came to him and were saying, John performed no sign, but all John said about this man was true, and many trusted in him there. So I, I wanted to read that whole chapter just so we have that, the context of that in mind, of the whole conversation that was happening here. This at, I want you to consider this atmosphere, okay? It's Hanukkah in Jerusalem. Yeshua's walking around there, around the temple area. Okay? They have this in mind. of They, they remember, right? They know what Hanukkah is about. And they know what Yeshua has been doing. They say, they surround him and say, how long are you going to hold us in suspense? Tell us. Are you the Messiah? Because, I mean, they're tired of Rome, right? They know what the Maccabees did against Antiochus and his armies. They've seen what Yeshua is doing. They've seen him performing the miracles. And they want to know, is he the one who's going to lead him out of this? Is he going to be the next Judah Maccabee? Is he the real Messiah, though? And they were ready to get behind him, I think. They wanted to push him to that. <clears throat> Hanukkah, though, I think, proclaims a message, and I think Yeshua's response proclaims a message. Very similar to the prophet Zechariah. In Zechariah 4, 6, he says, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Because Yeshua answered them, right, in John 10, 25, saying, I told you, but you don't believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify concerning me, but you don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of, the, out of my Father's hand. The Father and I are one. And what's really interesting is you know, just in the conversation prior to this, and this conversation may have happened, I don't, we don't know the, the gap between, you know, the first half of chapter 10 and the second half. It could have been a few days, it could have been a few hours, it could have been a few weeks, I don't, I don't know. Um, but he goes back to the sheep reference. Like, I'm pretty sure he was talking to the same people, is what I'm saying. Like, they, they got it, Right? He had, the last time he talked to them, he was just talking about sheep with them. And he goes right back to this sheep reference. And, and it's clear that the religious leaders that he's talking to don't hear his voice. That's what he's saying. You don't, you're not hearing me. You don't know my voice. Okay? You're only seeing and hearing what you want to hear. And it's not, it's not me. Right? Right? He's saying... I am the good shepherd. I am the gate. And they're saying, you're insane. And he's saying, I know my own. My sheep know me. And they're saying, you got a demon. And he says, I lay my, down, my life down for my sheep. No one takes him from me. And they're saying, why should we listen to this guy? You know, but some people did listen to him because he had performed signs. And he says, I give my sheep eternal life. I and the Father are one. And they're saying, blasphemy, stone him right? They're not hearing him. 
And he says, if you don't trust me, then trust my deeds, and you're gonna, then you will understand. But they still wanted to stone him for these things. They wanted to kill him for these things. You know, last week I read from Isaiah 40, verse 11. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers in his lambs in his arms and carries them close to him. I was tying this into God and his relational presence with us. And Yeshua, here in this passage, he is displaying God's heart. He is displaying God's relational presence. You know, it wasn't just that he was a shepherd, but he was the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. Okay. He, is, he is the one who knows how to take care of his sheep and wants to take care of them. But this, this narrative <clears throat> between the good and the bad, it plays out through this whole chapter, right? This whole chapter of 10 is like this comparison between the good and the bad shepherds. He, he calls the, the bad shepherds the, the hired caretakers, okay? But they were supposed to be acting like shepherds at least, but they were, they were hired caretakers. They were just getting paid to do it. And he's, and he's saying, look, I am the good shepherd. I love my sheep. I will lay down my life for my sheep. And hired workers, they don't actually care about the sheep at all. They, they don't care about it. They're going to turn and run away at the first sign of trouble. So you've got, you've got one good shepherd, you've got a lot of bad hired workers who don't really have the best interests of the sheep at hand, and, and then you've got wolves attacking. They're trying to destroy the sheep, and he's giving them a story here that's really very much like the story of the Maccabees. The same type of thing there, that surrounds the whole thing, because remember I said there was a lot of corruption going on in the religious leadership at the time of the Maccabees. Like, they were seriously corrupt in the those who were in control of the temple at that time, okay? They were hired workers who were not doing their job. And then you had Antiochus and his army that were wolves trying to come in, right? They were the predators. And there are predators that are out there. They're trying to destroy God's people, like Antiochus, like Rome did. You could name other ones, more towards our modern day. Hitler, Hamas, now, right now. The adversary is there in every one of them. And our sin is included in that too, as a wolf attacking. It's, it's, it's all tied in there together, okay? These hired workers here, they're supposed to be the ones that are there to help. They're supposed to be the ones who are also able to be trusted. And in fact, Yeshua is saying it's just the opposite. He's saying, you leaders, you religious leaders, you're the hired workers. You're, you're, you, you're supposed to be taking care of your sheep, but you have your eyes on Rome as the predator. And, and, and our people are lost in sin, and, and you've lost your focus. You know, our people need to repent. They don't need to revolt, but you're busy with your own power games. You're trying to control the temple, and you're trying to play politics with Rome. You don't really care about the sheep. They trust you, but they shouldn't trust you. You don't, you don't deserve to be trusted. You think it's more important to keep your Sabbath rules than to do good for others. You think it's more important to appear to follow God than to honor your parents. You think it's more important to follow the tradition than to help the people. You think it's more important to be religiously pure 
than to have love and fellowship with other people. I mean, obviously I was combining a lot of statements that Yeshua made to the religious leaders of that time. But he's saying, you guys, you hired workers, you're not doing your job to them. You're not loving the people as you should. And he's contrasting them to himself, who is the good shepherd. And that's the important message that we need to know today. That Yeshua, he's the only answer for us as sheep. He is the only answer. Okay? I'm not, I'm not, I don't say any of what I've said to point fingers at anybody here. I'm pointing us to Yeshua. He's the only answer. He's the only good shepherd. You know, we, we may have different opportunities in our life to be a, quote, hired worker in the kingdom of God to, to love and serve other people. Um, and we should do those things, but we have to point people to the one good shepherd, okay? Because we, we, we are fallible people. I'm a fallible person. Um, I am not perfect and righteous like Yeshua is. And we have to focus ourselves on him. He has a perfect love for us. He's the only shepherd who's so good that his sacrifice brings us eternal security. That's how good he is. Only Yeshua does that. No religious leader can ever do that. And he does that for everyone who comes to him. There is no exceptions in that. Hallelujah for that. But I will say that if anyone tries to tell you that your life and your security is found outside of Yeshua, then they're the ones who are opening the gates to let the wolves into your life. I mean, you, you might be worried about military conflicts going on in the world. You might be concerned about end of life or end of time persecution, end time persecution, things like that. Uh, you might see advertisements and things about <clears throat> you know, securing your home or getting food storage or guns and things like that. But we just have to remember that our life and our security is not found in strength, okay? The Maccabees knew that well. I, I read you that quote earlier um, from First Maccabees. They, they, they knew they were outmanned. They had to trust in God, okay? We, in this life, we're going to be outmanned, okay? We have to trust in the Lord. We don't need to be pursuing political power, okay, to achieve our spiritual goals. We don't need to be depending on that or on a specific cultural identity. We don't need to depend on money or on large amounts of material possessions that are, we think are going to give us life and security, right? And anyone who tells you those things is not sending you to Yeshua, but they are opening your lives to wolves, okay? It is only Yeshua. He is the only good shepherd, the only good shepherd, I say all that to then bring us back to Hanukkah. Okay. Because Hanukkah's ongoing significance for us today is that we need to be hearing God's voice as the Good Shepherd for us. He is the one whom we live under and we, we fight our battles with Him on our side. And we, we're commemorating the victory of a few, 
We know that in this life we will be outmanned. We will be outgunned, okay? It will always seem that way. We will always have desire to, for freedom to practice our religion, our faith in the Lord. Our battles will be against great odds. You know, we might live in a temporary uh, peace from this in America, but I don't anticipate that it will always be this way right now, as it is right now. So at, in this coming Hanukkah this week, as we, as we begin to celebrate, just remember that it is worth celebrating, okay? It is worth celebrating. It's worth celebrating what the Maccabees did, okay, and their faith. It's worth celebrating the faith that they had and, and, and acknowledging that and asking the Lord to give us that same level of faith, okay, that we're trusting in him to fight our battles and that we know that he is our shepherd in this thing, in, in this life, in every battle that we face, that he is our shepherd. And every challenge that we face in our life, every time that we get ourselves stuck in a crevice, and we can't get ourselves out, that he's the one who's going to rescue us. That every time we have an injury in our life, so to speak, I'm using that in air quotes. I'm not saying that, you know, that you don't ever use a medical doctor or something. Um, but every time that we have a, a, a difficulty in our life, that we go to Yeshua as our Messiah, first and foremost. So let's celebrate Hanukkah this week. Yeshua celebrated it. He observed it, so can we. Even if you're not Jewish, it's okay. You might not know all the traditions around it. It's a lot of food, cooked in oil, <laughs> like potato latkes and sufganyo. Okay, they're not really good for your diet, okay? It's not, um, but it tastes good. It does. <laughs> it tastes good. Um, you might not understand the dreidel game. Uh, that's Okay but it does represent the Hanukkah story. We can talk about that. Uh, you don't have to give gifts for eight days. Uh, that's, that's a more later tradition. Um, you might not know what order to light the candles in. That's okay. Uh, and it, there is a tradition too, the order of lighting of the candles, but I don't think you're going to get accused if you do it any, in any different order. Um, we're going we're gonna to do all those things though together. And we're going to celebrate Hanukkah. But, but more than those physical things that we do, we want to celebrate the faith in, in God that allows us to stand strong, to persevere under Him, in, in Him, right? In the things of this life. That we're trusting Him to care for us. We're trusting Him to do justice for us when we need it. And, and, and at the same time, we're also going to remember the rededication of the temple, Okay? You know, Hanukkah it recalls a, a good military victory that is really important because, you know, if Antiochus Epiphanes, if he had succeeded in his campaign of destruction and anti-Semitism, really, there would have been no Jewish people left to follow the Lord by the time Yeshua came onto the scene. He was setting the stage for Yeshua today. You might call it a similar stage today. If Hamas were to succeed... They want to wipe Israel off the map. And when I say that, I don't mean just the physical state, but the people. The, they want to make it so there's no Israel left for Yeshua to return to. That is the work of the enemy, the adversary. And we know that they won't succeed. 
we know that they need encouragement, too. That they need to have faith in their Messiah, Yeshua. In Jesus. That's why we're praying for them and for their peace. Not just so that there's a, an artificial peace there, but there is a true peace that comes through Messiah, Yeshua, too. So we can take some lessons here with us about this rededication of the temple. It's really important because if we've accepted Yeshua as our Messiah, as our Savior, Scripture says that we are a temple of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, living inside of us, that God lives within us. And we can, we can use this time in this season to re- rededicate ourselves, to do some house cleaning. And we might need to to do some house cleaning, to get rid of some things in our lives and to rededicate ourselves to purity in the sight of the Lord. And, and we're going to have the mikvah open. We're going to have that open next week. Um, if you want to be immersed, and some people have already talked to me about doing that. But just remember that as, a, as a, someone who has accepted Yeshua as your Messiah, that you are a temple for the Messiah, for the Holy Spirit living inside of you. And if you have never accepted that, never accepted Yeshua as your Messiah, then I would love to talk to you certainly today after our service because this is the perfect season for you to be immersed as well, to dedicate your life, to clean house, to let God clean house in your, in your personal life and in your family and to deliver you from the hands of the enemy to be your ultimate good shepherd in your life. This is the perfect season for that. And I want to invite you to to talk to me afterwards if you have never done that before. But we need to make sure that we, as temples of the Messiah, are cleansed and dedicated for the Master's use. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Well, we're going to be, again, celebrating next week, rededicating our congregation to the work of the Lord as well. as we have our 25th anniversary. So again, I encourage you to be here next week for that. But could I get two people to bring over the uh, table for the kiddish? And we'll continue on with that.